eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pray. Eric Scopolis with me as always. And before we dive into this Monday show, we want to remind people out there, if you're not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, you can do so, and for $9.95 per month, you get inside access, you get special analysis, you get recruiting news, team news, you get to be able to read content across the 24-7 Sports Network, not just our stuff, but everybody's. You get to read everyone's message boards. You also get CBS All Access for free. That's a, a streaming platform that CBS has created. It has all their shows, all their movies, live sports, all of it commercial free that's a free service for you by just subscribing to duckterritory.com for nine dollars and 95 cents a month or you could jump in for an annual rate pay just over 107 dollars one time but you save over 12 dollars over the course of the year lots of reasons to jump on right now all right eric let's dive into this monday show it's heavy focus on men's and women's basketball um once again another weekend in which the men seem to be going down, and the the women seem to be going up in terms of uh, momentum and progress being made. The women get a sweep at home against the Arizona schools, two top 20 teams in the country to blow out wins, whereas the men, and this is where we're going to start, the men go into Corvallis in a game that wasn't necessarily a must-win, but it could have gone a long ways in Oregon securing you know, a top four seed in the Pac-12 tournament and really cementing themselves as one of those top 14 teams out there, and yet they lose 63-53 to in a game in which they had a 10-point lead in the second half, and then they went almost 10 game minutes without a point. Not just a field goal and just make free throws. They they almost went 10 minutes without a point, and, and that's that's very concerning, very alarming. Absolutely, <laughs> and, it, and it's kind of sort of similar to what we saw in the loss against Stanford last week. I now lost two games in a row. Both sort of had a similar field where, where the first half and at times in the second half they're playing really well, and then out of nowhere, I don't know, out of nowhere is the right way, but suddenly they have a really hard time scoring. And you know what what stood out to you in terms of that drought, Matt? I mean, what, what, was there things that I mean, was it just kind of what we've seen? Previously, where there's just not a lot of options offensively, where did it feel like the rims were tightened up, or, or and the team maybe tightened up, or what kind of what did you see during that stretch? Because that's a alarmingly long run and, and and one that really cost can cost you a basketball game, um, which obviously is what it it did on Saturday. Yeah, I mean they it was another game in which I felt like 
Oregon got good looks. They literally just missed. And in the first half, Oregon got really good contributions from Shakur Justin and Chandler Lawson and CJ Walker. Uh, though, and they also got six points from Anthony Mathis in the, in the first half. He hit two three pointers. And I felt like between Lawson and Mathis and Patterson and uh, Walker, excuse me, they had what was it? They had 15 points between the three of them in the first half. They scored just one mm. point in the second half. And Shakur Jusen gave Oregon five points, ten rebounds. He's really good on the boards. But in that first half, he got a couple good looks at the rim, made some baskets. And then in the second half, he just couldn't convert. And this was a game, in, a, a second game in a row in which Oregon – all of a sudden, their their guards aren't hitting their shots at a consistent level, and they had no one to go to on the low post to get a bucket close to the rim. And I think you have to tip your cap to the, to the Beavers because Ethan Thompson was paired up on Peyton Pritchard for most of that second half, and he played terrific defense against Pritchard. The six foot five Thompson's bigger than Pritchard is. I think he's longer as well, and. Pritchard shot 7 of 21 from the field. He was 1 of 8 on three-pointers. He didn't make his first three-pointer until, I think, 15 seconds to go in the game. And the real frustrating thing, if you're an Oregon fan, and especially for Oregon's coaches and players, is they went, you know, they went on this dry spell in the first half, in the second half, and they gave up their 10-point lead. And then in a matter of, I want to say, like, 45 seconds it was. Will Richardson scored a layup and Peyton Pritchard scored a layup. And all of a sudden, Oregon was down and then they were tied and then they had a two-point lead. And that was after a stretch of about 10 minutes where they didn't score. And then after that, they just kind of fizzled out because the you know Pritchard made another layup you know, a couple minutes later to tie the game back up at 48. But Oregon never got any closer than that. Uh, there was a point when um, they 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 got they got a score. They were down fifty-two to fifty, and then Ethan Thompson missed a three-point shot late in the shot clock. Oregon played terrific defense, and this is something that's plagued Oregon for the entirety of the season. They played really good defense for for twenty-seven, twenty-eight seconds. Ethan Thompson missed a three. Kyler Kelly, OSU's off, uh, center, grabbed an offensive rebound, kicked it out to Zach Reichel, or kicked it out to Thompson, who then swung the ball to Zach Reichel, and he hit an open three-pointer, and that was a dagger. Because then it, all of a sudden, Oregon played defense, they got the stop that they needed, they but they failed to get the rebound, and it was a three-pointer to push a two-point lead to five with just 122 to play. And then I felt like after that, Oregon just kind of, they fell into the trap of shooting threes because Pritchard missed one and then they got an offensive rebound. Anthony Mathis then missed one. They got another offensive rebound. And after a foul by OSU with 46 seconds left in the game down five, Pritchard shot another three and they missed. And then Oregon got a steal and they shot another three and they missed. And then uh, OSU pushed the lead up to seven because the Ducks at that point were, were forced to foul with, with 29 seconds to go. And then they missed another jumper. Then they fouled two more free throws. And then they finally made the three-pointer with 15 seconds left. Um, 
I felt like they were trying late in the game. They're trying to go for there's, there's no five point play and just go to the rim and there you go. You, you get some you get some contact or maybe you get a free throw attempt or something. But the overall aspect of this game in and of it, itself is bad because Oregon had a ten point lead in the second half and Oregon State is not as good as Oregon uh, at least on paper. But games aren't played on paper and from the scope of the season though this doesn't really hurt Oregon all that much i've looked at a couple brackets already a majority of the brackets and this kind of goes into our next spot um the NCAA tournament tournament committee released their bracket reveal on saturday morning it's like, it's kind of like the college football playoff rankings right that get released they do it one time first weekend in february and Oregon checked in as the 14th overall team in the tournament, and they were given the second highest four seed. They were placed in the in the West Regional, which would mean they'd play in the Spokane region or Spokane Pod. And a lot of the bracketologists that 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 project this stuff now, granted, aren't associated with the committee's reveal. On Monday, they've updated their stuff, and a majority of them still have Oregon as a four seed, still have them in the West, and still have them playing. Uh, in the Spokane region. Now, the issue is, is Oregon's kind of burned up all of their credits that they have to their resume now because of the loss at Washington State, because of the loss, uh, to Stanford, and now because of the loss at Oregon State. And I, I feel like every loss that they now have is probably going to drop them a seed line, potentially more. Like if they were to lose at home to, to California, or Oregon State, that would be a game in which Oregon would drop probably two seed lines. They'd go from four to six. But the the, the caveat here is is that Oregon still has plenty of opportunities to, to continue to move up because you look at the net rankings and they've got a, a game on Thursday against the 16th best team in the country according to the net in Colorado, who's also in first place in the Pac-12. They still have a home game against Stanford, who is 30th in the country. And 30, you know, the top 30 teams in the country count as quad one wins. Uh, they have a game on the road at number 10, Arizona. That's definitely a quad one. That's their best win opportunity left on the schedule. They have another quad one opportunity when they go to Arizona State earlier in, uh, the, that same week they play Arizona, who's 54th. So Oregon's got some quad one win opportunities still on the board, but I think if, if, if you look at this team and if you look at their seed line at 14 and just say that's, that's where they're at right now, to stay there, they have to win out at home. Now, how likely is that? We'll, we'll get a good feel of that on Mon- on Thursday when they play the Colorado Buffalo. That was where I was going to go was you look at the rest of the schedule, it's pretty favorable. Five out of, uh, the last seven games, it looks like are going to be played at home. Uh, you mentioned the, the significance potentially both in the Pac-12, but also in the seeding of games with Colorado uh, and Stanford, who are near the top of the conference, also highly regarded in terms of the NCAA tournament. But none of this really matters. You know, you have these opportunities, but it doesn't really matter unless you can win these games. And I know Oregon remains 7-4 and four in Pac-12 play. I know they've been excellent at home. I and mean, you look at uh, their losses so far in conference play, all four of them have come away from at the United Arena. So coming back home, you feel like that's probably going to be quite advantageous. But what do you need to see from this group? And obviously, you're going to get a pretty good idea of it, like you said, on Thursday, because they, they played probably the best team, or at least arguably the best team that they're going to play the rest of the season. They play on Thursday at home 
in Colorado. But what do, you, what do you need to see in that game and I guess this weekend to really feel good about the trajectory for the rest of the season? Because I, I feel like Thursday's game is really pivotal. I don't know if I'd classify it as a must-win yet. I think, obviously, maybe must-win to win the conference, but probably not must-win for much of anything else. But what do you need to see in that game? Because I feel like that's going to be one to really measure this this squad in because it is against a really competitive team. It's a home game. It's a game Oregon obviously really needs, and, and Colorado wants really badly as well. What, what, what do you want to see from the Ducks on Thursday? Yeah, I think I think it's a must-win when you look at it. Like, Oregon is... Excuse me. Oregon is one game out of first place in the Pac-12 standings, and let's also be let's also acknowledge that. Like everyone's freaking out about the loss to Oregon State, who's 11th in the conference, and yeah, it's not good. But the conference is so jumbled right now that there's literally three games that separate second place to 11th place. There's <laughs> literally uh, one and a half games that separate sixth place from second place in the Pac-12 standings. Like, everyone is jumbled. There's no team that has fewer than three losses. And if if you want to look at, if you just eliminate Oregon State and Washington, ten, you know, nine other teams have th- six losses or fewer in conference play. So the league is really jumbled right now. I mean, I mean the, the, the team that's ninth in the conference, Washington State at five and six, they're three games out of first place. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, so... In terms of Thursday night's game, yeah, it's a must win because if you lose, now you open the door where maybe you lose that top four seed in, in the bye in the Pac-12 tournament because everyone is so close to each other. But if you win, you're now in a tie with Colorado. You also eliminate the tiebreaker that the Buffs have over right. you because Colorado won the first meeting of this season that was played back on January 2nd. Now, what do I want to see from Oregon to win this one? Well, first of all, I'd like to see them hold on to leads. In second halves, their their offense is just kind of disintegrated. Um, Dana Altman said post game of Civil War that too much too much dribbling, too much one on one, not enough ball movement. That's the most important thing. Getting the ball movement going. Secondly, I, I, you need Pritchard to shoot well. You need Chris Duarte to shoot well. But it, it's becoming evident that for Oregon to, if they're not going to have a low low post scoring option. You can't consistently win with just two guys scoring the basketball. You need better floor spacing, and and to get that, you need more than two guys out there at a time who are lethal scorers. So you need a guy like Richardson, a Mathis, someone to step up and become a consistent scorer to to go with Pritchard and Duarte. Um, I'd like to see obviously a low post guy step up and, and become an option for them in scoring, but I don't know if they were going to have that this season. Now, Francis Sakura was not with the Beaver, with the Ducks for the, for the Civil War game because he was in Nigeria for his father's funeral who unexpectedly passed in December. And I, I think he can, he can solve a lot of other issues that Oregon has. He has some toughness. He can guard really, really well in the interior defensively. Um, he can rebound the basketball and he can, he can cover up some of those other holes that hurt Oregon at Stanford and hurt Oregon at, at Oregon State. And look, Colorado's gonna have some size. You know, Evan Batty's, he's only like six foot eight, but he's like 310 pounds or 290 pounds, something like that. You know, for you old school NBA fans, Oliver Miller type-esque, you know. There you go. Body, for, you know, body type, 
really, really wide body and really athletic for his size, and he's going to cause problems for Oregon if Okoro can't play. I, what, what about Infalo Dante? I, I think at this point in the season, if Infalo Dante can play, that's great. If he can't, you, you kind of already are banking on that. Um, it, he's missed five straight games. Kind of is what he is at this point in the season because he hasn't been able to practice. You're going to get very limited impact from him, or at least it's going to be sporadic, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think Thursday night is a huge game for this team because first place is on the line. They win. It's a quad one win and that they, they, you know, can continue to, to cement themselves in the top four seed. And, and look, from the ceiling of this team, like they're not going to get a one seed. They'll probably have to win the, you know, they'll probably have to close out the, the season with wins in their final seven games and win the conference tournament to get to a two seed, but it's still out there. Is it probable? Probably not, but it's still an option out there. But so I think Oregon's really playing for a three or a four seed right now in the NCAA tournament. And you need as many wins as you can get. And to get there, it starts with a game at color at home against Colorado. Yeah. What I, I guess you look at the way this, this season has played out and it's been kind of strange from just kind of what the Dana Altman, you know, script has been typically where the team is peaking right around now and you know, in the, in the final five to seven games of the season, in the conference play at least, you feel really good about where they are. But right now, it's kind of maybe more of like what last year's season was, where you're struggling down the stretch a little bit. Of course, last year's season, they never got to the highs of where they are this year. Um, and I think that's what sort of differentiates it from, from last year a bit, too, because this season, obviously, you have the non-conference play with all those big wins, and you get into conference play, and you start like gangbusters or 7-2 and two in conference. Um, obviously, we've talked about how most of those weren't blowout wins, but you found ways to win. Do, do you feel like with this team, and again, the, the, the script under Dane Altman is that he, this, these teams always figure something out right around this time of the year, right around when Valentine's Day creeps up is when they start kind of figuring things out for whatever reason. Um, do you, what's your confidence level that this year's team has one of those runs left in it? Because if they don't, uh, we're talking about being a top three, top four seed. And they, and they maybe slide a little bit here. Maybe they lose two out of the five games at home and they lose both games on the road. You could be looking up at a team that's maybe an eight or a nine seed in the NCAA tournament as opposed to a three or a four seed. How confident are you that they're going to get this worked out? Because, uh, it, it feels like under Altman it usually happens, but maybe, does it feel like this is a team that they have that in them? Yeah. Every team that's gone on a deep run in March under Dana Altman has had a blip in the radar a spot where things are not good for them in February. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. They didn't do it in 2018. And then this year, this past season in 2019, they did it. Um, this is, and this year's team's in a similar spot. They've suffered a bad loss. And how do they respond to that? History says they will. And I feel like Dan Altman's had 10 teams that he's coached at Oregon. This is his 10th season. The previous nine, eight out of those nine, I felt like continued to get significantly better as the season wore on. The only one that didn't do it, I felt like, was the 2018 team right. following the Final Four year when there was so many so much roster turnover and um, they made the NIT. That team just really struggled, I felt like, to make the, you know con- consistent progress. Um this year's team, I think they can. I, I, th- they're not going to have a shot blocker in the, in the interior. And I think from my unprofessional opinion, 
of coaching basketball. <laughs> yeah. I think the way that this team can become a better defensive one is if they press and they kind of play a 40 minutes of hell type style of basketball because they're, they don't have the shot blocker. And so I think it's, Hey, let's speed up the game, get more turnovers. And if the opponent doesn't turn the ball over crossing half court, we've forced them to chew up seven or or eight seconds of shot clock. By the time they initiate their offense, they're down to 20 seconds. And now you have to play defense in the half court for 20 instead of 27 or 28 seconds. And I think you have the length and you have the athleticism to really do that. Just change your, change your defense, force opponents to the corners and try and trap, force them to the wings and try and trap. Don't, don't let them get to the top of the key. Don't let them get to, you know, inside three point arc and near the, near the key. Uh, and, and, that be your rim protection. Just don't let them get to those areas. And I think they could do that because they do have a ton of athletes and they do have a ton of length. They just don't have a ton of size. And so I'd like to see them go, go press and, and, you know, and trap a ton, but you know, they can't do that unless they score because it's, it's incredibly hard to do that when you don't score the basketball and don't have a chance to set your defense. So um, to answer your question, I do think they have the run in them. And it helps that five of their last seven games are going to be played at home. They haven't lost at home all season. I, I really think that this team can turn it around, and it's not going to surprise me in the slightest if they finish their seven games in the regular season with six or five wins uh, and all of, all of those coming at home. All right, let's, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always, talking Oregon Duck basketball. Use the first segment to go into the men. Now let's shift gears towards the women. They had two games at home this season or this week. They actually had three games this past week. Feels right. so long ago that they played at UConn, but nonetheless they they did as as you know the calendar shows it. Uh, so this past week they won seventy four to fifty six at UConn. We've gone in depth on that one, but let's focus on the weekend. A Friday home game against number twelve Arizona. They won that one eighty five to fifty two, and then Sunday afternoon at at home, excuse me, they beat number nineteen Arizona State seventy nine to forty eight. Let's start there because 
you were there, I wasn't, but for all right. intents and purposes, it felt like that game was more of a slugfest rock fight than an actual basketball game. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and that's, that's what we kind of come to expect with Arizona State and, uh, Charlie Th- Turner Thorne coach teams. They, they play a very physical brand of basketball and it's almost one of those things where they go out there and they're just going to foul you and foul you and foul you and let the officials decide like what they want to call and won't call. Um, basically knowing that they're going to commit like 40 fouls, you know, basically every half. And it's, it kind of becomes on the officials of like, okay, uh, I guess we're going to call every fifth foul or are we going to call it really tight? And if it calls it really tight, that really hurts Arizona State because the other team's just living at the free throw line. But that's how they play. And I thought Oregon did a pretty good job of kind of fighting back. I, and I thought the, phys- the both teams were pretty physical in this game. Um, there were... You know, and there were moments in this game where I thought the officiating was really not very good, um, and that they called it at times too tight. At other times, they didn't call it tight enough, and then they were kind of in a weird, weird balance of trying to figure it out. And it led to some some kind of frustrating moments for both players and coaches. Uh, Kelly Graves got teed up with three minutes to go in the third quarter. Sabrina Ionescu and Arizona State's Robbie Ryan, and I still don't know what transpired here, um, but they got teed up for apparently jawing at each other. After a foul call, um, a couple minutes later in the third quarter, I think at about a minute left in the third, um, the, the, the ironic part is Oregon's up by like 25 points at this point. And the game's over, and yet we're still seeing technical fouls being issued. And I think that goes to the point of like, th- there What's was just so much, there's just so much frustration of like, wh- why why are we calling the game the way we're calling it? And I thought Kelly Graves, he was asked about it. it was actually, I think the very first question he was asked following Sunday's game about you know, kind of what led to that technical foul. And he said, I thought I'd earned it at least a quarter before and definitely a quarter before that. Uh, and then I finally got it in the third quarter. I didn't care. I just wanted to play a basketball game. And, and he's right. I mean, it felt, it felt it didn't feel like they were really playing a basketball game. It was, it was slogged down based upon the fact that there were so many foul calls. I think there were 13 fouls called in the third quarter alone in a 10 minute period, three technical fouls in that quarter, I think 24 for the second half as a whole, and there were times that in the fourth quarter, Oregon's up like 30 points, and the crowd's booing because they're frustrated with the fact that, hey, we just want to get out of here with this win, um, you know, and, and it's just being delayed because the officials want to whistle every single infraction. So, but that doesn't take away from what the game ended up being, which was Oregon has one, you know, had one Pac-12 loss all season. It was to Arizona State in Tempe uh, earlier in January. And they go out, and Oregon gets a 31-point win. And this was a game that they really wanted, obviously, because they lost previously. But I think also because Arizona State plays a style that just frustrates you. And you just want to beat a team that plays that way. And Oregon went out, and I thought really took care of business. It was a slow start. And we should mention that Arizona State scored two points in the first quarter. A lot of that was due to Oregon's defense. I think a lot of that was due to the fact that they just weren't really ready to play at the level that Oregon wanted to play. Um, And Oregon was up. Pretty dominantly the whole first half, carried it over in the second half. I think it was only a 12-point halftime lead, we should know, but carried it over into a big third quarter and then ran away from it. A big win and a win that, again, you look at the totality of this last week here. And we mentioned that they start with the win over UConn. They then beat Arizona, which we'll talk about in a second here on Friday, and then Arizona State. That's three wins over three of the nation's 19 best teams by a total of 82 points. Um, You know, it's nearly 30 points a win. It's absolutely astounding how good they played this weekend. And we should mention that Arizona and Arizona State went to Oregon State and almost swept the Beavers. You know, Arizona takes care of the Beavers in overtime on Sunday. Oregon State or Arizona State probably should have won in regulation. Sometime, 
I mean, that was, this is an Oregon podcast, but you could, we could spend a couple of minutes talking about how Arizona State led with 2.4 seconds to go in regulation and somehow loses in regulation and not because of a three point shot. Oregon State scored two baskets in the last two and a half seconds to beat Arizona State. So Arizona State showed pretty well this weekend in its first game and almost beat Oregon State and then is absolutely, you know, flattened by Oregon. I think that shows a little bit of the difference between, you know, Oregon State, which is a top 10 team. And Oregon, which is a it's just a different class right now, where Oregon State is struggling or losing to these teams at home, and Oregon is beating them by 30. Um, and again, Arizona, Arizona State are tournament teams. Arizona's a very good basketball team, and that game was just never competitive because Oregon, when they want to, can just play at a completely different level. And we've seen that now at home. You look at they've played seven Pac-12 games at home. All but one of them has been won by more than 30 points, and that includes games with Stanford, Arizona, and Arizona State, who are all top 19 teams nationally so when they play at home teams are just not able to compete with them and it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the road these next couple of games here but I think you feel really 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 good about where this team is at right now they've won 10 in a row and I think they played really well on offense and they played really well on defense and it just feels like they're starting to really put it together you know, we talked about Oregon on the men's side with Dana Altman where they start clicking around this time of the year the women are absolutely clicking right now. They're playing at a very, very high level, and it's been just really fun to watch um, them kind of develop and, and come together over this last, I'd say, basically since the Arizona State game. They've really taken their game up a notch, and, and you can feel it when you go to their games, and you can certainly feel it just by looking at the box scores by how dominant they are right now. Oregon sits 11-1 in conference play. Huge game this weekend um, for the, the women's side. On the road, they play at the LA schools and they open with a Friday night game, Valentine's day game at UCLA, a team that is, they were 10th going into the, going into this podcast in the country. They're second in in the conference at 10 and two, one game difference between the two schools. And I look at this and, and this is the first meeting, right? Between these two teams. And it's the only meeting. And this is a game that really could be the difference in Oregon securing the Pac-12 championship in a couple weeks or going into that final weekend having to win some games because if they get this win, they're 12 and 1 in conference play and UCLA is now 10 and 3 and the Ducks have a two game lead plus the, the tiebreaker, meaning Oregon would have to lose three games or excuse me, you know, yeah, yeah, three, three more games and UCLA would have to win out. And that just seems unrealistic to happen. So this is a huge game, right? A hundred percent. And it, it, for as well as Oregon has played and all the nice things I just said about them, um, if they lose on, on Friday to UCLA, they would be tied with the Bruins in the conference and UCLA would have the tiebreaker going into the final stretch of the season here. Um, this is a, a humongous game and we got to give a lot of credit to UCLA for what they did the, over the last Four games. I mean, they played four straight games on the road against three of them against ranked teams, and they won three of those four games. They did lose by 26 points to Arizona on the road, which is one of those games that you look at that for a second and go like, that should be, if you're an Oregon fan, reason to kind of go like, okay, we can should be able to beat this team. They just lost to an Arizona team we beat by 30. They just lost to them by 26 on the road. But then they responded really, really well, and they beat Arizona State the next game. They, they went into Palo Alto, which is not an easy place to win, and beat Stanford by 10 points. Um, last week, and then they really did have to battle with California. We should mention in Berkeley, California not very good this year. They're one and eleven in in Pac-12 play. They had to. It, it took UCLA 
overtime to beat them 74 to 70 on Sunday. So they, that's kind of a weird one to look at. Maybe they were just looking ahead at Oregon because they had beaten Stanford and, and Arizona State in consecutive games. But um, this is a UCLA team that is like Oregon. You're playing in this conference and you're 10-2 at this point of the season. You're battle-tested. You played some good teams. You won some big games. Um, obviously, they haven't quite played the same schedule that Oregon has, but this is a team that has not lost at home so far in Pac-12 play, um, or on the season, I should say. Uh, and it's going to be hard for Oregon, I think, to come in there. You know, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be one that really, I think, again, illustrates how dominant they are um, because this is a very, very good UCLA team. I went, I went and watched most of that game with Stanford, and I was really impressed with how uh, they, they play offensively. They're, they're very um, skilled. They, they've got players that can hit a variety of shots. They can shoot the three pretty well. They've got good mid-range jump shooters, and they're pretty darn good down low. So I think Oregon's going to be challenged in a variety of ways by UCLA, but ultimately I, I feel really good about where Oregon is at right now. You know, you talk about this win streak here. Uh, in 10 games, no team has scored more or over 60 points during that stretch on the season. I think this gets underlooked, and I'm going to write something on the site this week about how they've improved defensively. But this is, you know, Oregon historically and under Kelly Graves has been awesome as an offensive ball club, and that's no different this year. They're the best in, kind of in a number of categories offensively, but we should met, note that they are 30th, 30th, sorry, nationally in points allowed at 56.4. And that number is probably almost a little bit misleading too because they are playing at such a high uh, pace offensively because they do get extra possessions because they're pushing it up and down the court. So that 56 points per game is really impressive considering Oregon is averaging about 85 points per game offensively. So um, they are second nationally in scoring margin right now, averaging a 30-point margin of victory, which is, again, obviously very impressive. Uh this this game against UCLA, though, I think will we'll test them, and you're going to see a little bit more of what they're made of on the road, and that's where they have had some issues, if you want to say it. I mean, it's hard to point to issues when you've lost two games all season, but I, I think a challenging game with UCLA this weekend, and, um, and but one I think they're going to be ready for. I, I just don't. With the way they play this weekend and the way they played in stores, I have a really hard time expecting that they're going to lose another game in the regular season play, if I'm being honest. I think if you look at the way the conference has played out, I think they're clearly the best team in the league, and I don't think it's that close. They're pretty close, in my mind, for locking up the West Coast. Right? I keep calling it the West Coast the Portland Regional, because that's what it is. It's the West Coast yeah. Regional, but they just call them by the city hosts instead of regions. Um In the next couple of weeks, when they play UCLA on the road and then they play Stanford on the road, if they get those two wins, I just can't see anybody else surpassing them no matter what happens the rest of the way. I mean, they could, they could lose two or three more games and if they, as long as they still beat UCLA and they still beat Stanford, I just don't see someone else getting, getting the Portland Regional over them looking at the resume that they have. I mean, just go go back and start at the top of the season. They have a win over Syracuse. They have a win over Oklahoma State. They do have a loss to Louisville. They do have a loss to Arizona State, but they did also claim, you know, wins over Kansas State. And then it gets crazy. A, a win over 18 Arizona at the time, a win over number three Stanford at the time, back-to-back wins over number seven Oregon State at the time, a win over number four UConn at the time, and then wins most recently against Arizona schools, Arizona, who was 12th, Arizona State, who's 19th. You add in the fact that you could get wins over a number 10 UCLA and a number 6 Stanford. There's just no way, right? There's just no way that they could lose the Portland Regional. 
I, I don't see it. Um, I, again, I'm barring them falling apart. And I look at the schedule here, and, and I know they play four to the final six in conference on the road, so that's not easy. But in terms of just the caliber of opponent, this is the easiest stretch they've had in a while because you've got the two big games against UCLA and Stanford, and you can't discount that those are the second and third best team or the second and fourth best team, depending upon how you want to factor Oregon State and Arizona into that conversation. But they also have the other four games they have there are very, very winnable. USC, I think, is four and eight in Pac-12 play. I mentioned that State Cal, I think, is one and eleven. Washington State and Washington are also right there at the bottom um, in the Pac-12. So there are four games in there that are probably going to be thirty to forty point wins, even though two of those are on the road. I mean, the Washington State and Washington games at home are basically going to be senior festivities. I mean, I don't want to completely diminish those programs, but if Oregon doesn't win both those games by like 50 or 60 points, I'm going to be pretty surprised because those are some of the worst teams in the league and teams that just haven't been very competitive with a lot of these top-tier teams. And like I said, Oregon is, in my mind, 15 to 20 points better on a neutral site than probably UCLA, Stanford, the Arizona schools, and Oregon State. Um, I, I just look at the schedule and go, it, it's to me there's two challenging games on the road at UCLA and Stanford. Those are going to be two of the toughest outings all season. For Oregon, but the other four games are very, very winnable and games that I think you're, I could see Oregon winning by 40 to 40 plus points. And it seems crazy talking about them winning by 50 or 60 points, but then you look at the schedule and realize that's kind of been what the reality is when they play some of these lesser <laughs> teams is they just beat the crap out of them. So, um, yeah, I, I look at the schedule, like I said, and I go, they've got two really good games against UCLA and Stanford. I think they're going to be challenged. I, I'm picking them to win. And then they've got some games that, that I think are going to be very, very lopsided wins. All right, I think there's a ton to to watch for this week. Obviously, two huge games for both the men and the women. The men play at home on Thursday against California against excuse me Colorado. The women go on the road a day later, Friday night, and they play at UCLA, a top ten showdown. Going to be fun to watch that one as well. We'll have coverage breakdowns of that all on Monday's podcast coming up after that. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Adios, amigos. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.